Hi, and welcome to Freelance to Founder Shorts. I'm Preston Lee. I am Clay Mosley, and you've probably heard our in-depth coaching calls with everyday freelancers who want to scale their business. Now, we're helping even more freelancers each week with Freelance to Founder Shorts, five to 10-minute episodes focused on answering one question from a listener like you. To promote your business on our show and get your question answered, visit freelancetofounder.com slash ask. And now let's dive into today's question. Okay, so the question for today's short comes from Christine Williams. She says, what type of work did you choose to put in your portfolio when you were starting out? I don't have much because I no longer have access to things I've done at previous employment. Did you do mock-ups for fake businesses or services? So I think that's a great question. Uh, Joining me on the air is Christine Olivas. Uh, She's been my guest co-host the last couple of weeks on these shorts and Christine, after we take a quick break from our sponsors, let's tackle this question from Christine Williams, not to get confused about what to put in the portfolio. We'll be right back. Hey guys, you've got enough tough decisions to make every month as you grow your business. Picking your next great book to read should not be one of them. With Book of the Month, you can forget about the hassle of browsing through endless shelves or scrolling infinitely through an overwhelming amount of book options online. Book of the Month simplifies the process of finding the next great thing to read by offering a carefully selected lineup of five to seven titles to pick from each month. From gripping thrillers to heartwarming romance and everything in between, I'm personally really excited about this new announcement from Book of the month, curated audiobooks. Since you're listening to podcasts, I assume that you like audiobooks and you're like me, you're more of a downloader than a page turner. And this is your moment. I'm right here with you. I've picked out my selections for March already and you can too. Joining book of the month is super easy, very affordable. Plus for a limited time, new members can get their first book for just $9.99 with code CHIRP. Visit bookofthemonth.com now to pick your next great read. That's bookofthemonth.com with promo code CHIRP, C-H-I-R-P, or click the link in our show description. Have you ever noticed that many of the problems people call in with on this show can be solved by hiring someone? Sometimes you need a full-fledged team, other times maybe just a simple assistant or an expert in something you're not great at. Whatever your reason for hiring, we recommend you take a look at LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. As you may know already, LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. It gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. And LinkedIn Jobs makes the process of finding the perfect teammate easy and intuitive. Hiring is always easy when you have access to so many quality candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours when using LinkedIn Jobs. I've used it myself, and it was so simple. In fact, I've made multiple hires using LinkedIn Jobs, and did I mention, by the way, it's free to business owners like me and you. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash freelance. That's linkedin.com slash freelance to post your job for free or click the link in our show description. Terms and conditions apply. All right, welcome back to Freelance to Founder. Today, I've got a short episode. I'm joined by my guest co-host today, Christine Olivas. Thank you so much for being here, Christine. Thank you. It's been a lot of fun. Glad to be back. Yeah, excited to have you again. If you haven't heard Christine previously, she's been on the last two short episodes that we've run and really just has some great insights um, and answers to your questions. So I'm so glad that she's here joining us again for another episode. Christine, let's uh, let's tell people really quickly where where they can find you, what you're working on, and just give them a little context for who you are. Sure. 
Yeah, so I started freelancing in January of 2017, so you know the before times. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> previous to that, I was full time uh, in house marketing. I was a VP of marketing at a few startups, and also a strategy lead at several advertising agencies. Um, and I just got bored, <laughs> believe it or not, even though I had a lot of variety and ended up going out on my own in 2017, um, successfully freelanced for three or four years. And then last year, January of 2021, I started Co-Conspirators Agency, uh, which essentially functions as a marketing and strategy agency, but is made up uh, exclusively of freelancers uh, from uh, seven time zones. Um, so we get the freedom of freelancing, but also um, the structure and sort of the collaboration of kind of a traditional services firm. I love that. And I love the perspective that you've been able to bring so far to some of these shorts where you know what it's like to maybe be on the client side, work, uh, you know, a full-time job, but then um, you know what it's like to get started as a freelancer, some of that loneliness or just sort of figuring out who you are and what kind of projects you're working on. And now you're building an agency. Um, and you work with lots of freelancers. So just lots of uh, lots of different perspectives there. And I think that's what's making some of these answers you're giving so fantastic. So I really appreciate it. Let's, um, not to confuse listeners, we've got another Christine. Let's go back to her question. So Christine Williams says, what type of work do you choose to put in your portfolio when you're first starting out? And if you remember a couple episodes, we answered another question from Christine about finding, uh, she's found one client, she needs to find her second client. So it's obvious that Christine is fairly early on in her freelancing career here. Um, what recommendations would you have for her on what to actually put in her portfolio? Sure. Yes, I would say I don't know if Christine is a designer or a strategist mm. or a marketer. So one kind of clarifying question I would have if I had the chance would be sort of what type of portfolio, because I do know there are different expectations, obviously, for a creative versus, let's say, a more behind the scenes marketer. Um, but for me, I can speak to kind of just from a marketing and strategy perspective, some of the tactics that I used. I tend to be more of a um, ask permission later type. So I will say <laughs> that I probably push the limits in a few cases, um, but without actually infringing on intellectual property or anything like that. So I think it's a balancing act that folks mm -hmm. might feel comfortable with. So one of the a few things that I did. So one thing I did is I made really, really liberal use of logos. I think logos can be really powerful. They're visual. They don't necessarily reveal anything confidential, but I very quickly on my first consulting website, um, as well as my uh, LinkedIn, I had a little area with kind of a slide share and I just threw up logos of all the different companies, companies that I had worked for, as well as clients I had served while at those companies and mm. organized them roughly by vertical or by category. So, you know, I worked with Amex and Citibank and financial, and I worked with, you know, state of Arizona and Vegas and tourism and used those logos as a way to just sort of say, look, like I might be new to freelancing, but I'm not new to doing this work. And I think that's yeah. a distinction that's really important for folks to make. You're not starting from scratch. You actually do have valuable things from your past that, you know, kind of form a nice continuous thread to who you are mm. as a freelancer and logos are one really great way uh, to do that. Yeah, I, I love that idea of just showing a company's logo or a company's name, because sometimes, like you said, that some of that work can be off limits. In fact, uh, we have a really great and popular article on the blog, which I will link to in the show notes of this episode, as well as a video to go along with it if you prefer video. But um, it talks about sort of the legal ramifications of what you can use in your portfolio, what you can't use in terms of including in-house work, 
previously in your in your portfolio. To clarify, Christine and I are not lawyers. We aren't giving you legal <laughs> advice. We can't give you legal advice. You can't hold us liable for the things that we say. My lawyers make me say that, but but our advice is there are ways sort of around it or ways to um, I'm I'm the same way. I'm a sort of ask forgiveness, not permission kind of person. And so I, I would say uh, just to go along with what you've said, Christine, is like in- include what you feel comfortable including, um, but make it very clear. I think it's perfectly fine to to say, you know, I've been freelancing for for three months, but I've been doing, you know, let's just assume we're talking design work here or branding work or something you know, I've been doing design work for for companies for over a decade or whatever. Like anything you can do to sort of bring in the truth, but in a in a in a positive way, where it's like, yes, I you're, like you said, I am a brand new freelancer, but I have all this professional experience, and you just show that off as best you can in your portfolio. Yeah, absolutely. And there are two other kind of content types, if you will, that you could try um, on top of logos or instead of them, depending on how you you know whether you want a website or you want an actual portfolio. Um, the other thing I did is I asked for testimonials from free uh, mm. from full time connections that sort of spoke to what they thought my capabilities would be. So almost like a <laughs> sort of like predictive testimonial. Mm-hmm. So I asked, you know, a former uh, boss of mine, and he wrote a testimonial that basically said, you know, Christine is one of the top strategists I've worked with in my career, and I have no doubt that as a freelancer she'll bring value. Right. So sort of that. tying those two things together. Yeah, that was kind of an interest and it helps and to be honest people don't read in that much detail they're not looking at that and questioning yeah. and thinking like oh she's not a been a freelancer <laughs> forever like they're just yeah. like oh wow this person who's a chief strategy officer at a large agency advocates for her that's yeah enough. yeah and that's enough for um, them. and plus i think you could you know some people often when they leave a job they'll request that on their linkedin like just a quick testimonial of like or or if you offer it to someone else they'll often reciprocate so you could even pull those off of your linkedin profile um, if you feel like it's been too long to maybe reach out to someone and get feedback or whatever, you could pull those off your profile and, and use them on your portfolio website as well. Yeah, yeah, I love that idea. Um, and then I think the last thing sort of specific to the work, because I think that might be at the heart of Christine's question, mm-hmm. is I think there are some ways to recreate the work without faking it or without revealing confidentiality or confidential information on kind of the other side of the, of the extreme so uh, methodology can be something that you could do. So for example, I thought back on one or two projects that I had done in the two years prior to freelancing. And then I wrote up just a little, almost like pseudo case study where it was like marketing plan for uh, education tech startup led to X results. And then I didn't include the company name or anything, but I said, look, I did this here are two or three steps I took and here were the results. And then mm. I put the you know, two or three of those into a deck mm. um, or into a portfolio. And then obviously if there are um, visuals that you can include that aren't the final product, that can be helpful too. So for example, uh, my friend who's a web designer and a freelancer often puts wireframes or notes that she took mm. kind of mm-hmm. on Google docs as she was planning because the internal sort of planning piece really is something that you own versus the end product that the client owns. So those are just some workarounds to sort of create what feels approximates work a little bit more, writing out your methodology and then thinking of visuals or screenshots or documents that show the work without actually showing it. Hmm. I love that. And then I think just to add to that, like from a legal point of view, and again, we cover this more in our article that has been, uh, we, we had some help legally researching it and that sort of thing. But, you know, if, if 
I, I, again, I fall in the camp like you do, Christine, of like ask for forgiveness, not permission. If you include something and a former employer or a, or a client comes to you and says, you need to pull that down, then just just comply with that. But the odds that that's going to happen, in my opinion, are pretty low, uh, especially if you have positive relationships. Now, if you, if you, you know, flipped off your old boss and ran off in the middle of a project and quit your job and started freelancing, you might have a little bit harder time uh, getting permission to use some of those projects in your portfolio. But mostly people are generous um, and happy to support you in your freelancing. And, and they're happy to see that you're, you're giving it a go. And so a lot of times they'll support you, give you permission. Maybe you have to give them credit or something, but like they'll give you permission to actually use some of the deliverables even sometimes in, in some of your portfolio work. So I think there's ways around it. And, and then again, it, you know, if something does happen, they ask you to pull it down, just pull it down. And that's the worst that can happen really. Um, in terms of like getting sued or that sort of thing, I don't think that's a huge concern for most people. Uh, again, there, there would be like some sort of cease and desist or something before then. So I just... The, the overall risk is is really, really small compared to the potential value that you can get from showing off some of that previous work in your portfolio. Completely agree. And, you know, as I mentioned, I think design and creative is probably the most sensitive area for mm. clients because yeah. that hinges, you know, that, that tends to be a little bit more IP related. But if there are ways, like I said before, to show wireframes or mock-ups or copy documents that have key identifying phrases stripped or blacked out. That's also a really good way for a client to see, look, you participated in the development of this ultimate deliverable without actually showing the ultimate deliverable, which tends to be the most sensitive. And most contracts, as I've seen them with clients, are written to protect the visual and branding IP, but not necessarily, no one really cares about the wireframes, you know? Yeah, Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's a good point. Do you, what do you think about this other question that she asks toward the end where she says, did you do mock-ups or, or I assume she's asking, would you do mock-ups for fake businesses or services? Would you do anything like that? Like a, like a, you know, a fake case study or a, anything along those lines, or would you just lean on previous work you've actually done? Yeah, I'd probably go with the latter and lean on previous work yeah. with some of the modifications and like, you know, anonymizing that I mentioned before. I guess yeah. the only exception would be in like a my approach or my process type of slide or section Mm. of your website, I think you would say, look, if I were to get a client like X, this is how I'd approach it. And you could Mm. show sort of comped like mock work for a fake client. I personally would not position that as a case study though, or as a portfolio. Uh, Just, it feels a little too. It's more like a mock or a comp or a example. Yeah. But it's a good way to show your process. So we do have a section on our site and I had one when I was a solo freelancer that said my approach and I had something similar. It was sort of like showing my methodology for how it approached a a specific kind of project with a specific industry, but I would never have positioned it as a portfolio thing just because I think there are a lot of other workarounds that feel more real. Yeah, I think that you bring up a good point. Like your portfolio isn't the only way to show off previous work or or skills or abilities that you have for future clients. Like I know some freelancers who will do um, a free consultation and instead of just doing, often a free consultation can be a lot of time uh, wasted. But um, if you do a free consultation and record it and get permission from that person to then show, like for example, if you're going to do, let's say you're going to do uh, a marketing plan teardown or uh, a branding guide uh, uh, review or something. 
it's a free consultation. You do it like on Loom or something where it records your screen and your voice and your video and you record the whole thing and then you publish it on your social channels or in your portfolio or somewhere where people can watch you actually like speak intelligently about the kind of work that you'll be doing. That can be a great potential way to get a lead from that one client, but even better, it can be a great way to, to offer some proof to future clients that you know what you're talking about and, and can do the actual work that they need. Yeah. Oh, I love that idea. Yes. And there are multiple ways and sections. It's almost the aggregate, right? When you're communicating mm. yourself, mm -hmm. your portfolio, plus your LinkedIn, it's like the overall impression of the logos, the, the testimonials, that the work itself can kind of come together to create a larger impression than the individual pieces. And at least until you have a few years under your belt, I think that's perfectly appropriate. I think we all kind of do some version of that as we're getting started. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think the important thing is just to think like from a client's point of view, what would I want to see to give to help me to trust this person, have confidence in them, even if they are new, like what would I want to see? And you could even, if you have, you know, former bosses or friends or whoever who are clients who have hired freelancers, ask them, what do you look for in a freelancer? And find ways like we've chatted about today in this short about how you can sort of circumvent the traditional way of just showing a project or whatever in your portfolio. Maybe you, maybe you sort of come up with creative ways to, to get the same result, but without, um, potentially causing problems with former employers or with former clients or whatever. So Christine, thank you so much for, uh, for your insight on this question. I think it's been great. Uh, thanks for joining us the last few episodes too. Will you just let our listeners really quick one last time, remind them where they can find you and connect with you. Absolutely. So for, uh, freelance work, if that's something that you are interested in finding, or if you are a client looking for freelance uh, strategy and marketing support, you can go to co-conspirators agency.com all one word no dashes or spaces um, and then you can also find me on linkedin by my first initial and last name so c-o-l-i-v-a-s is the handle at the end of the url or christine olivas uh, should work as well and thank you again for having me of course thanks so much and we will talk to you guys uh on our next freelance defender episode see ya Thanks for listening to this Freelance to Founder short. Subscribe in your favorite podcast player for more shorts and full-length coaching sessions each week. Freelance to Founder is a collaboration between Milo, Dripify, and the Podglomerate. Be sure to subscribe in your favorite podcast app by visiting freelancetofounder.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, tell us why by leaving a review. Until next time, thanks for listening. See ya. See ya. You hear us talking on the show all the time about social media and the importance of marketing yourself online as you grow your business. That's because social has played a huge role in both of our businesses as we've grown them, but actually getting customers from your social accounts to your website and ultimately to make a purchase can sometimes be more difficult than it should be. If you need a simple solution, I recommend you try getting a .bio domain from Porkbun. That's .bio, .bio. You can put it in your LinkedIn bio. You can put it wherever you want to put it so that people can get directly to your website. We've partnered with Porkbun a lot over the years for two reasons. First of all, we trust them and they offer better deals on domain names than anyone else that we know about. And right now you can get a .bio domain name for less than $3 at Porkbun. So for less than a cup of coffee, you can get a short, memorable, and professional .bio domain name to share yourself with the world. Just visit porkbun.com slash freelance or click the link in this episode's description. That's P-O-R-K-B-U-N.com slash freelance and you can get a .bio domain for $3 right now.